Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So last month, we celebrated the 76th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy, what would become known as D-Day. June 6th, 1944, more than 156,000 U.S., Canadian, and British troops invaded a 50-mile stretch along the north of France, a 50-mile stretch of fiercely defended shoreline. It was the, the largest amphibious invasion in military history. It took years, actually, to coordinate, to plan, to pull off, and it was the decisive beginning of the turning point for a world at war. One of the fiercest regions or areas of that, that great and terrible day was an area given the code name Omaha Beach. It was there that 2,400 U.S. soldiers were killed or wounded or never recovered. One of the many features, one of the many notable distinctions about the D-Day invasion was that it was one of the very few battles in the history of warfare where the wounded would have to be taken to the front line of battle rather than the rear. Behind them was the sea, and there was only one way out, and it was forward. I'm thinking about that this morning and thinking about the reality of this, this deadly space right between the shoreline where they would disembark the landing crafts and about three to 400 yards before they received or found any kind of semblance of shelter whatsoever. Three to 400 yards of open shore where the environment was nothing but chaos and destruction and death and uncertainty and fear and valor all mixed together. And I am mindful of that deadly space, that hellish zone between their landing and their settling where they had already landed upon the beach and had not yet found a place of safe harbor, and it occurs to me that that is in the most extreme sense an image of what I'm trying to talk about these few weeks in this new series that we're calling Liminal Seasons, living between the already and the not yet. Now last week uh, we talked about the word liminal, uh, the word liminal comes from the Latin word lemon, which means threshold. 
I mean, it's literally, think about a doorway and that space beneath the door that is a threshold from one room to another. And the image is having one foot in one room and one foot in the other. And the threshold, the lemon, the, the liminal space between is the space of transition from one to the other. And you and I, I pray, will never have to experience the the extreme liminal hell of Omaha Beach, right? Most of us will never experience that degree of liminal space, a space between the already and the not yet where the uncertainty and the fear is so intense. But the truth is, you and I are constantly moving into and out of seasons of liminality. We are constantly moving from spaces and experiences and seasons that are familiar and secure and safe into something that's ahead and we cannot get from the already to the not yet without going through this season of uncertainty. The in-betweenness of life is what I'm talking about. And it happens all the time in, I guess, like, like 10,000 expressions, microcosmic expressions in our daily lives. It's, it's when you move to a new city or you, you move to a, a, new, a new job, a career, or you move into a new school, right? And, you, and you've already moved, but you have not yet found your people, right? Your friends, the ones who will give you security and and, and, and friendship and, and safety. And living between the already and the not yet in a new season of life can be, can be intimidating. Or it's receiving the diagnosis, right? The diagnosis of cancer. And, you, and you've already begun the treatment, but you've not yet seen the tumor begin to shrink. It's the experience of a teenage girl who we clearly see she is not any longer a child. She has already become more than a child, but she is not yet really an adult. And she gets mad at her parents. And she, she, she rages at them, stop treating me like a child. I'm not a kid anymore. Yet at the same time, she does find this strange sense of comfort and security by all the old ways that she found safety and security, by taking naps in mom and dad's bed, by watching old reruns of cartoons that used to make her laugh and feel secure, right? And she's between the already and the not yet, and that can be a frightening place. It's knowing that you have to break up, and you've already made the, the decision in your mind and in your heart that it's, it's no longer a healthy relationship, it's toxic, and you know you've made the decision already, but you haven't had the hard conversation with them. And you know much is going to be required of you. Or, or you recognize that maybe, maybe you, you have an addiction. And you've begun to recognize this about yourself and maybe you've even confessed it to someone close to you and looked up treatment centers and options for you and you're, you're almost there. You've already declared there is a problem but you have not yet become clean or begun the pathway to recovery and, and you recognize it's going to take everything in you. In all of these ways, in 10,000 ways, 
every day all around us, people that you know and love and even you yourself. I, we go through liminal seasons and in some ways it's like we land on the beach of some foreign land that we have never, we've never navigated it before. And we're not sure how we're going to get to the other side. And we suspect it's going to require so much more of us than we had imagined. Friends, we, we are in a liminal era right now. Everywhere you look, I'm not, I'm not just talking about like a liminal season. I'm talking about an era, right? And not just about COVID or the quarantine, which certainly is a season of liminality. We don't know when or how this thing is going to resolve. But it's not just COVID. It, it's about the, the ongoing race relationships, the, 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 the conversations we're having about racial relationships in our, in our country. It's also this deeply uh, divided political season that we're in. And we recognize that the, the country is, is in pain in so many ways. And, and yet it's, it's not just the, the quarantine, and it's not just racial tensions, and it's not just the, the political divide, but you back up and you realize that for some time in this post-Christian era when it seems as if the church has lost its influence, lost its sense of authority, lost its sense of of uh, esteem or respect or influence in the world, it's very clear that we have already left some kind of season. And we're just not completely sure where this season takes us. I mean, will there be cases that continue to rise? I mean, will there be any good, healthy, whole end result change to the race conversations that we're having? Will the nation ever heal again? I mean, will businesses survive? And what will church look like at the end of the day? See, all of these liminal spaces and liminal seasons, they're part of what it means to be human. And most of our lives are lived in these, these strange, foggy spaces of uncertainty between the already and the not yet. And what we choose to do and how we choose to think and speak and exist with one another during these seasons makes all the difference. And do you know the Bible has a word for the kind of season that I'm talking about between the already and the not yet, the Bible has a word for it. The word is wilderness. Wilderness. In the Bible, wilderness is always this, this journey, a spiritual journey, that requires something. It's, it's a kind of preparation. In the Bible, the wilderness is always a time of spiritual preparation for something that is to come. You can't quite see where it's going, but the wilderness has a shaping, a shaping effect on those who are walking through it, a shaping effect that prepares them for something that is to come. And in the Bible, um, wildernesses are always deliberate. There are no accidental wildernesses. In the Bible, we have individuals and peoples who are always going into wildernesses, leaving seasons of familiarity, 
deliberately, sometimes by their own choice and other times by force, moving into a place where they are stripped of everything that is familiar, everything that is normal, everything that is routine, everything that had previously propped up life, all the creature comforts, all the false securities, individuals and groups of individuals are brought into the wilderness in order to be stripped away of all of the false securities that have become so normal to them. And they're brought into the wilderness always. I mean, 100% of the time, they're brought into the wilderness in order to learn how to depend upon God. They're brought into the wilderness in order to learn how to cry out to God in a way that matters and how to depend upon the provisions of God who will get them through the wilderness. Moses had a 40-year journey through the wilderness before leading the people of Israel on their 40-year journey through the wilderness. Elijah, on Mount Mount Carmel, he's up there alone, depressed, in a kind of wilderness season, and he recognizes in this time that's being stripped away from him all of the old familiar ways that he used to think about God. He looked for God and looked to hear from God, but he he looked for God in all the ways he used to see them, see God in the fire, in the earthquake, the whirlwind, and he saw God in none of those. It was a wilderness season. And in the midst of that, he discovered that he hears God in a brand new way, in a still, small voice. Sometimes you've got to leave the familiar and walk into the wild, walk into the wilderness in order to encounter the God who's been trying to get your attention. John the Baptist. John the Baptist goes through a wilderness season of his own in the wilderness of Judah, or Judea, rather. Paul goes into the wilderness of Arabia. John goes to the Isle of Patmos and is exiled in a wilderness season of his own. And even, even Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, the Son of God, the Son of Man, right? The Son of Humanity, which is his favorite title, which means the representation of all humankind. And why did he have to go to the wilderness? To show us that, well, one of the reasons is that every human must go through the wilderness, a time of leaving that which is familiar to discover the God who is calling you deeper. See, every one of us on the spiritual journey, I might even say it this way, the spiritual journey is, uh, it, it's, it's embedded with liminality. I mean, liminal seasons, spaces of wilderness between the already and the not yet, well, they're inherent in the spiritual journey. They are weaved into the very fabric of what it means to be on a journey of faith. Because it's only in the wilderness that we can be tested and tempted and tried. And in the testing and the tempting and the trying, we are transformed transformed but only by going through the wilderness and why 
Well, it's because if you don't go through the wilderness, if you don't, if I don't leave the familiar at some point, either by choice or by force, and go through the wilderness, here's what's going to happen. You and I will go through the rest of our lives with the illusion that we're enough on our own. We will go through all of life skirting around wilderness journeys, trying to avoid liminal seasons of the unknown, and in doing so, we'll walk through life with this illusion that we are enough on our own, that our resources are enough, that our abilities are enough, that our bag of tricks that seem to work back in the familiar are certainly going to work in the wilderness, and they're not. They're just not. The wilderness is the place where God draws us so that we get to the end of ourselves. You have to come to the edge of your own resources and abilities and skills and tricks. But when you get to the end of you, right in the middle of wilderness, you get to the beginning of God. I I, I love, there's even a word a word in the Hebrew Bible that describes wilderness. The, the word for wilderness in Hebrew is the word midbar. Midbar is a fascinating word. It's a great word. It means wilderness. And every time you hear of a wilderness journey in an individual or with the people, it's midbar. But midbar is interesting because midbar shares a root word with another Hebrew word, debar. Debar is the word for to speak. It's the word that's used when God's voice is heard and God speaks over creation. God speaks over the chaos. God speaks over the flood. And every time there is the word of God speaking, it comes through Dabar and in the ancient mind. The wilderness was the place that you went to hear the voice of of God speak. Because we think that we hear God in the familiar. Yeah. We think that we can hear God when everything is neatly wrapped up with a nice little bow and predictable and controllable. When we have control over our lives, we think that we are hearing the word of God, but sometimes it's just... Hmm. Spiritual ease, God talk because it masks as our own voice. You have to go through the wilderness to hear the voice of God speak. Because it's in the wilderness that you are stripped away of every distraction. You're, you're stripped away of every false security. What's pulled away from you in the wilderness is this illusion that you've got everything under control. And when you become desperate enough, hungry enough, thirsty enough, when you've reached the end of your your great ideas to get you out of the wilderness and you're still there and you become vulnerable enough, that's when you hear the voice like no other. And Israel ought to know, in the Hebrew Bible, the dominant story for wilderness is the story of the Exodus, uh, the story of liberating the people of Israel out of Egyptian 
slavery, right? For 400 years, you remember this from our study of Exodus and Leviticus, right? For 400 years, they were, they were enslaved in Egypt, and, and Moses is sent by God to, to deliver them and to rescue them and, and liberate them so that they may go and occupy the land of promise, the Canaan, the land that was promised to their, their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the scriptures are very clear. There was an avenue, a pathway, a highway in the ancient world that they could have taken that would have put them from Egypt into Canaan in a matter of weeks. But God knew they were not ready. And they were forced to move into, well, what Deuteronomy describes this way. The great and terrible wilderness an arid wasteland of poisonous snakes and scorpions. I just want to stop for a moment and ask somebody who may be listening, do you know what it feels like to experience the arid wasteland, the terrible wilderness of the heart? I mean, to go through a wilderness season when you have literally left everything that you recognize and now you're in the unknown and the uncontrollable, it can feel like an arid wasteland because there is a kind of soul thirst and a kind of soul hunger that you can't seem to satisfy on your own and you long to hear the voice that can only be heard in the wilderness. Richard Foster wrote an amazing book called Prayer. He wrote many, but one of my favorite is his book on prayer. And he talked about the wilderness experience and the feeling of, of being forsaken, or at least believing that you've been forsaken by God. That it can feel this way. Listen to his words. Have you ever tried to pray and felt nothing? saw nothing, sensed nothing? Has it ever seemed like your prayers did no more than bounce off the ceiling and ricochet around an empty room? Have there been times when you desperately needed some word of assurance, some demonstration of divine presence, and you got nothing? Sometimes it just it just seems like God is hidden from us. We do everything that we know. We, we pray, we serve, we worship, we live as faithfully as we can. And still, there's nothing. <laughs> nothing. It feels like we're, we're beating on heaven's door with bruised knuckles in the dark. What an image. Do you know how, that, how it feels to desperately be just rapping on heaven's doors with bruised knuckles because here you are, you're, you're nowhere familiar in the middle of the wilderness and you're crying out and you're crying out and you hear nothing. That's called an arid wasteland. And you're not alone. <laughs> I know the arid wasteland the terrible wilderness i know what it feels like to have your prayers seem like they're bouncing off the ceiling and ricocheting around the room there are seasons liminal seasons 
And you can't just snap out of it, right? And this is what St. John of the Cross had a name for it. He, he called it the dark night of the soul. Man, I, and, you, and you, may not, you may not have heard that phrase before, but whether you know the phrase or St. John of the Cross or not, if you've experienced the dark night of the soul, you know what I'm talking about. It means you might show up and do all the things you're supposed to do, but the sermons mean nothing to you. The songs can't move you anymore. You try to read the scriptures, but you, you just, it, it kind of falls flat. And you pray and you hear nothing back. It's a dark night. But just as the song that we heard Tommy sing a little while ago proclaims, it's, it's in the night. It's in the night that God cares for us. Because in the night, when it's dark enough and quiet enough and, and all of the old comforts no longer comfort us, then the cry becomes more desperate and more sincere and the hunger and thirst become more and more deeply embedded in your soul. It's then that something happens and we, in the midst of the midbar, hear the voice of God speak. See, Israel, as painful as it is to go through the great and terrible wilderness and arid wasteland of poisonous snakes and scorpions, I mean, what a description. As painful as it is for any of us to go through that experience, because you know we're all Israel, right? We're, we're all coming out of Egypt. We're all leaving some kind of bondage, and we don't think it's bondage because we've been there so long. I mean, normal the thing that you and I are longing for, just we should get back to normal. Oh, we have to have, have found a new normal. I just wish things would return to normal. Well, guess what? In normal, sometimes you can be enslaved to something for so long that it begins to feel normal. And God shoves you into wilderness so that you can be out there long enough to recognize the things that needed to be stripped away from you so that in your desperation for something new, you find him. And you, you hear him. Yeah. What is it about this current, modern midbar, our recent wilderness, this contemporary season of liminality where you and I exist together in this kind of unknown, where's it going? Not sure how this thing plays out. What is it about this modern midbar that God may be using to say something. We believe deeply with, with all our heart that, that COVID is not from God. God did not send COVID. We believe with all our heart that the racial division and the political division in our country is not from God. God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order, right? But in a world that is filled with wilderness, what, what is it that God may be attempting to say to you, to me, to any of us, that we could not otherwise hear unless we're in this strange no-man's land, this liminal season of what in the world, right? Well, you say, well, that's, that's a strange way for God to behave. 
Why in the world would God do that? I mean, if God loves us, that doesn't sound like a very loving thing to do. If God wants to, wants to be heard by us, why doesn't God just speak? Why does God insist on taking us to seasons and to spaces of liminality and wilderness? And my answer is, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is that it works. <laughs> it works. It works. It has worked in me over my journey. It's only when I've been kicked out of the familiar that has become normal and that I've begun to expect and control that now I have to desperately tune the ear of my heart to something more. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget that even Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God, was required to go through a wilderness. There's this amazing story. It's a beautiful story in the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus has this baptism. His cousin, John the Baptist, another wilderness guy, baptizes him. And he, Jesus comes out of the water, and there's this beautiful moment, and it's told in all, uh, all three of the synoptic Gospels. Actually, it's told in all four of the Gospels. But in this particular one, in Mark, we're told that as he came out, out of the water, hmm. there was this dove that descended upon him, a spirit of affirmation. And we're told that what was heard was this thunderous voice of God who said, This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus comes up out of the water soaking wet with affirmation and divine approval and belovedness. It could not be more beautiful than that. God says, this is him. He is my son. Pay attention to him. He's the beloved. But then Mark says that as soon as he comes up out of the water, immediately the Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the word that Mark uses there is, in Greek, ekbalo, ek meaning out, and balo meaning to throw or to toss or hurl. It literally means, ekbalo, to be, to be tossed out, to be hurled into, right? He comes up out of the water, and the image that Mark wants us to consider is that here is this one, the son of the living God, the beloved the Spirit descends with great approval. The voice thunders, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And soaking wet, dripping with affirmation and holy love, the first thing the, the loving God does with His beloved Son is Echbalo, throws Him out into the wilderness to be tempted. Why? Would God do that to anyone, especially his own beloved son? It is because of this. Testing, temptation, trial, the stripping away of everything false, the kicking out of external props that held life up, temptation, trial, wilderness is always love's next step that's where this goes 
That's how we grow in Christ. That's how we know God more as we move along because we have to leave the already. And before we get to the not yet, there is something to learn and discover and something to hear in the wilderness. So James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. I might even just insert just, you know, another phrase here. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come and when you enter any kind of season of liminality. Consider it all gift, my friends, when you enter into the wilderness and you don't recognize a thing because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. I mean, don't you feel this kind of temptation, this desire to rush through the season? I mean, I can't wait to fill this place once more with you right for us to be together i can't wait to get back to normal right i can't wait for you know businesses to get back for schools to be back in session i can't wait to rush through that but what if normal had a subversive way of enslaving us in ways that we we got so used to that we never recognized it at the time what if right now is a divinely appointed wilderness in which we are to discover something we could have never discovered in the familiar. Yeah. All right, so what do you do? If you find yourself in a wilderness in your relationship, in your family, if there's a wilderness that you're going through spiritually or relationally in some way, what, what is it that you do? Well, here's what you do. You realize that Israel is you and, and me. and You realize that you're always coming out of Egypt. And we're always going toward the promised land, but we're always required to go through something that makes us hear the voice of God like we have never heard the voice of God. So what do you do then? Well, then we take a lesson from our ancient mothers and fathers of the faith. We take a lesson. We, we learn how to hunger in the wilderness in a way that, well, requires us to wait on God's manna day by day. And we resist the temptation to put away manna for the morning because God will feed us then too. Maybe we learn to thirst like our ancient sisters and brothers did by waiting on God to provide water from the rock and we resist every urge we have to strike the rock on our own and realize that maybe there's a fountain of living water that comes not from us, not from us, but And maybe what we try to do is to avoid every inclination that we have to run back to Egypt, even though there was meat there and vegetables there and graves to bury our dead. Because here in the wilderness, we realize that was slavery. And maybe we follow our Lord. And in following our Lord, we, we recognize we will be tempted to expeditiously turn stones into bread. And, and maybe what we do is we resist every temptation for quick and easy fixes 
to hungers that can only be satisfied by God. See, you and I are in a place right now, and maybe you're listening and, and you're like, you know, I think you're speaking where I am because I'm in between something and I can't define it and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm telling you, you learn to wait. And in your waiting, you pray. And in the silence, you cry out. And in your hunger, you wait. In your thirst, you wait. And day by day, painfully as it is in this arid wilderness, distractions are stripped away and noises begin to hush until one day you you recognize the voice of God at a place so deep that you could not have heard it in Egypt maybe you need to pray like this God right now I recognize that I'm in a strange space I don't I don't pretend to know how to navigate my way out of this. I mean, I do pretend to know. Yes, that's, I do pretend, God, to know. And I, I try to show everybody around me that I, I know how to get out of this season I'm in, but I, I can't pretend this with you anymore. You know all things, and I confess to you. I can't. I'm not enough on my own. I confess to you that I'm at the end of me, and I pray that the end of me means the beginning of you, because if that's so, here I am. Take me, Lord. I mean, feed me day by day. Give me something to show me how to survive in the wilderness because I believe this wilderness will not last forever. But I know that what I do now and how, what I choose now will determine where this whole journey goes. So I'm listening to you, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to me. I yield to you my life. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins and all the moments when I have attempted to, to play your part. But not in the wilderness, I don't. I'm yours. In Christ's name, amen. My friends, somebody prayed that prayer with me and you meant it. You meant it from a deep place and maybe for the first time in a long time you've, you've said something that really mattered to God and you've humbled yourself and, and you were serious about wanting to yield to God in the wilderness, wanting to hear from his voice. If that's the case, I want you to tell somebody. You need to tell somebody. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell me. I want you to email me. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. You can email me at sking, it's on your screen here asking at jcbc.org and I want you to tell me what God is doing in your heart so we can be in prayer with you. Now wherever it is that your, your journey takes you from here, whatever unknown place in the wilderness, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like going back to Egypt. May, may he then encourage you to take one step further at a time. Make Christ go to your right and to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, 
girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with His.